Without Shame is Sandra Cisneros' latest poetry collection. There are over 50 poems on wide-ranging subjects and themes. There are San Antonio poems and poems set in Mexico. There are poems about art, food, sex, love, and the natural world. Cisneros is 67 years old now, and though she's never been one to shy away from saying exactly what she thinks, the poems here have an extra edge of candor, a bubbling over urgency, if not also a slow, simmering wisdom. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to Sandra Cisneros about her book, Woman Without Shame. So, Sandra, it's been almost 30 years since you published a book of poetry. And you've said over the years about publishing poetry that it's difficult to put poetry out there for like open consumption by a reading public. It's difficult. It's very close. It's very personal. It's very private. But why is now the right time for this book? I never feel an urgency to publish poetry. I feel an urgency to write it. And, you know, the process of writing is something that I've been doing all along. I have to do it in order to make clarity of emotions, events, and my life. But once I write it, it, I'm not ever sure whether it's done or whether I want to share it. Uh, it, I need to put it down and let it have its beauty sleep. So I don't feel the urgency once I write it to publish it. I feel an urgency when, you know, I've got that get whatever's in my heart that I can't name until I have language. I have that urgency. But publishing's the opposite of writing poetry for me. Writing poetry is like, you know, when you get a, a little thorn in your heart, like a little nopal, prickly pear, that fine of a little thorn. You really have to attend to it because it irritates you. Or like a little pebble in your shoe. You've got to attend to it because every time you take a step, uh, it keep it's keeping you uh, uncomfortable. So um, I feel that sense of urgency. But once I get this, the spina out, the little thorn or the pebble out of my shoe, uh, I don't have to hold it up and say, ooh, 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 look at this. <laughs> That's the opposite. It's the opposite of, of the uh, discovery. And uh, so I don't, I mean, I'm always working on poetry in the background over, you know, when I'm doing other th- other kinds of genres. And uh, the poetry is more about uh, finding balance in my life and uh, you know, being able to pluck that little thorn out or pick up that pebble out of my shoe and keep walking. And then I'm fine. So it's not about other people. It's about me. And only now uh, did my agent and my editor and my personal poetry coach and another San Antonio writer said, you know, you've got a lot of poems here. You know, are you ready to put these together as a manuscript? And I thought, well, yeah, maybe it's time to get them out from under the bed. So it's one of those things that, it, you know, I'm always writing poetry, but it, the idea of publishing it is not foremost in my mind. There are over 50 poems in this collection. Really? I had no idea. And so it sounds like you you just have been working on them all along. And then... Yes, that's right. And some were in different stages of being finished, or some were in stages where I wasn't sure they were done or I wasn't satisfied. So that's why I just 
leave them uh, sitting for a couple of years. And when I brought them all out together and looked and said, wow, that, you know, there's a lot here. There were many that didn't make the cut, uh, but I was surprised at how many pages I had. Did you go back to Loose Woman or My Wicked, Wicked Ways while you were pulling the manuscript together? Was there any of that sort of, sort of reaching back there or... I know you read voraciously. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Those manuscripts are like looking at photographs of my childhood, you know, <laughs> or looking at my high school yearbook. Uh, they're my juvenilia. I've moved past them. I'm not really interested in those poems anymore. Uh, there's a few of them that I like, but I, I don't feel comfortable reading from those books anymore. I know you read voraciously and really, really widely. Um, what does reading poetry by other poets do for you, even as a writer or as a reader, of course, but what does poetry specifically do for you? I think poetry has been my medicine during the pandemic, uh, where we found ourselves obligated to spend time by ourselves, which for writers is uh, not a punishment. It's a, it's like the perfect life. It's like living in a monastery or a convent. And so I indulged that I could clear my calendar, stay home, not put on my shoes, not comb my hair, and just be in a retreat with myself and the world. And I found it was an excellent time to write poetry because poetry is about being very present at every moment. And uh, I felt myself reading poetry when I felt upset about what was going on in the world politically, uh, what was going on uh, globally, I, I would reach for poetry and it would inspire me to write poetry. I like reading writers who make me feel like going to my pen. And uh, there are just so many different kinds of writing and writers that are out there. I, I have stacks of poetry, manuscripts from many writers I've never heard of. Uh, that I buy if I like one poem. And likewise, if I find a, a po poet whose book doesn't nourish me, even though it's an award-winning book, I give it away. So I try only to keep books that make me feel like writing and then maybe heal me from what I'm feeling at this period, at this age in my life. And some books come to me, you know, too late, uh, I'm in a different stage in my life. As much as I can appreciate some books of poetry, I'm just in another place at 67. So the themes that I wrote about when I was in my 30s or my 20s, I'm I'm in a new place, and I want to read poets that are going to help me in this phase in my life to become a better human being, a better writer. And I can tell from reading a book, you know, just a couple of poems, if it's going to. Um, if I'm going to be able to be an apprentice to this writer. And if I'm not, then I have to abandon it. Speaking of, of COVID and this difficult period uh, we've all experienced, something I admire about your work, including your nonfiction and also your fiction, I'm thinking about Martita, I remember you, Martita, te recuerdo, has to do with, with travel and broadening our horizons, if not through actual travel, then certainly through reading. Can you talk to me a little bit about how COVID or even other things 
have maybe stalled that drive that you seem to have about experiencing other places in our world? Well, you don't have to get on a plane or go out of town to travel. You know, you can travel in your own home. And I think that uh, COVID uh, allowed me to pay attention to things that I would not have noticed otherwise. I really paid attention to the insects in my house. I paid attention to the plants on my terrace and the trees that shade my terrace. I paid attention to the sky and how it changed and how every sunset is different and uh, how uh, the animals that I live with, you know, how different they are from each other and from other animals I've had. Uh, I felt I was in a, a, a very rich uh, period of examining my life with my little antenna out there picking up moments that demanded me to write poetry in a way that I wouldn't have answered it if I had been traveling or tired or distracted with people. So I felt like it was a, a rich retreat, very spiritual. And I traveled so many places just staying home, you know, just in my imagination and in my thoughts. And of course, if you, you know, want to travel, all you have to do is open a book, as Emily Dickinson would say. You know, just open a book and you're going to uh, launch yourself to another mundo. So uh, I didn't feel deprived of my calendar being clear of travel. I felt like I did more traveling than <laughs> my interior. And it was a much more enriching experience than stepping out my door. This book is also available in Spanish with a Spanish translation by Liliana Valenzuela. Kenya. Lily's the Mextex, you know, Mexicana that moved to Austin and stayed there. And so she's ideal translator. She's been my translator for over 25 years. She translated my last book and all of my books except for my novel House on Manco Street. But she's been my colleague and friend and fellow writer for many, many years. So she and I had so much fun when we work on the translations together. She's the one translator that I collaborate with, you know. I, I don't work with the other translators because I don't know the other languages. But Lily and I, I she's just um, I'm maga, you know, like a magician in how she's able to capture things in such a poetic way. And it's because she's a poet. That's why she's able to do it. Do you, some of your poems come to you in Spanish, though? Yeah, they do. In fact, this is the first time that I'm publishing poems that came first in Spanish, and then I translated them with Lily giving a tweak here and there into English. Uh, you know, now that I'm living in Mexico, I hear things that uh, inspire me, or I talk to myself in Spanish now. So there's a couple of poems that came directly in Spanish and sound better to me in Spanish than they do in the English translation. Well, and you are in Mexico. The poems in this collection in Mexico here, they sing in a in a different way, even the ones in English. Tell me about Mexico and what role it, it's played in creating, helping to create even the, the entire collection. Well, I think being in Mexico has been such a shift, you know, uh, 
was a big shift living in South Texas, but uh, South Texas was just preparing me for coming further south. And, uh, you know, when I came here originally, uh, it was just to give a lecture at a book festival, but I had such a resonant feeling about this land. This is, uh, I live 100 kilometers from my uh, hamlet of where my abuelos lived during the Mexican Revolution. And they emigrated north, first to Texas and then Arizona and Kansas and eventually Chicago, where my mother was born and I was born. So I felt a deep uh, root-like connection, a deep spiritual connection to the land. And uh, even though uh, I had never gone to the town where my grandparents had abandoned until I moved here, there was something calling me back. And uh, I just felt embraced by the environment. Um, I, I feel I can write here, and I feel inspired here. And I also feel protected here. That sounds a little bit ironic, considering all the violence in Mexico. But I felt more vulnerable and exposed in Texas than I do here. I feel that the construction of houses are made in such a way as to uh, protect you and to have the garden uh, Arabic style so that it's behind a high wall and you have a privacy here that you don't have in houses in the United States uh, with their lawns, uh, sometimes with the fence, but you're, you know, you're visible from a passing car, whereas that's not the case here. It's built like the Moroccan houses, like the Arab houses, where everything is inside. And the outside is just a high wall. And I needed that after feeling uh, overexposed in San Antonio and too accessible to everyone. A writer needs to retreat. A writer needs to have privacy. A writer needs to uh, have quiet. And uh, I just felt I had created a lot of the distractions myself uh, by working on foundations I'd created and, you know, lots of events and things happened in my life that made me more visible than I wanted to be. And uh, retreating and living behind a high wall and controlling my visibility and uh, controlling my schedule so that I'm uh, more private is what I needed at this time in my life. The poems are categorized under subtitles like Mujer Sin Vergüenza, Cielo Sin Sombrero, Cantos y Llantos, Cisneros Sin Censura, and of course, Bilon. And they really do comprise worlds, many lives. And one of those lives was in San Antonio. <laughs> there are some San Antonio poems in this book, so I wondered... Based on what you've just said, what what was it like for you to return to those San Antonio sounds and thoughts and textures from those years when you lived and, and worked here? I suppose you've already answered part of that question, but what was it like to go back and read some of those poems now in, in 2022? Well, um, I like looking at my San Antonio poems, and uh, they bring back lovely memories. I especially like when I come back to visit that the grackles are still grackling. <laughs> and uh, you know that there's beautiful uh, 
uh, sunsets and the most you know, we trees and the mesquite trees are uh, withstanding the weather and doing their thing. I just uh, find the, the flora and fauna uh, very comforting. Uh, I don't like all of the uh, noise from the cars because I live down in King William. And I, everywhere you walk in, in King William, things have become denser and noisier with the roar of the interstates in the background like the ocean. And I don't like that there's a density of people and uh, the, the little little town San, San Anto has turned into you know big city, which is what I fled from in Chicago. I, I didn't want to be in a town where you had so many cars and you would get terrified and exhausted behind the wheel. But now when I come back to San Antonio, I, I won't drive. Uh, it's too scary to be on the interstates for me now. And I prefer to Uber or have friends drive me or walk places. And I think, oh, I, I couldn't I couldn't live here anymore. It's too it's gotten too big and too citified. And I liked it when it was kind of, you know, Rasquache, the pueblito. I liked it like that. You know, it was, you know how, remember, there used to be those bumper stickers, keep San Antonio lame. <laughs> yeah, I liked it when it was lame because it was affordable. And once it became hipster city, you know, then, of course, all the people that uh, made it so hip, the, the, the real hipsters, the artists, you know, had to move away from the neighborhoods that, uh, Taxes rise and got overdeveloped, and oh, you know they lost the tranquility for someone like me who's hypersensitive to uh, environment. This is really a book. Um, the first time I read it, I read it in one sitting, and and just really, really sat with it, and then. I read it again very, very slowly and just sort of luxuriated in the sections and I skipped around and I, then I went back and read it in, in sequence again. You're so good at describing the flora and the fauna. You're so, um, your, your eye is just so, uh, clear and focused. And we see in this collection the changes in seasons, yes, in terms of the temporal, moving through a year, through the season, spring and summer and the gardens and the insects, but also in terms of the seasons of our lives, dancing in the boy bars and so on, and then seeking your own company at age 65. It's one of the lines. We see the passing of the years of getting older Many of the poems in this book show us the ways in which you are experiencing the passing of time. We see you even move through COVID, for example, and through some of the terrible things that we've experienced globally that you, that you write about. But then right down to the personal passing of the years, too. And I think of this book in that way, that it shows us the beauty of adapting over time. And I feel like so much of your work, even when I think about Esperanza on Mongo Street, so much of your work is about adapting, not in the sense of like giving in, giving up or conforming, but in the sense of 
even adapting by clearing a path, finding a way through because we have a life to live. I find I kept thinking about that when I read this collection of poetry. Hmm, that's a very astute reading, and I always enjoy talking to you, Yvette, because you're such a a, a astute reader. Uh, uh, I didn't realize that it was a passage of time until uh, John Freeman, my editor, started lining them up according to linear time because I didn't realize how many of the poems quoted an age. There's so many that say, but now I'm not 50 or uh, 65, you know, they, their age is, is noted in many, many of the poems, so it was easy to light them up. Uh, but I I am so close to the poems, I hadn't seen that. It took my my editor, Knopf, to say, okay, let's put them in this order. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, you know, I was just too close to the poems, and especially, you know, having written a lot of them in the recent uh, past year, it was very hard for me to see whether, whether anything was going to be something you could enjoy because they're so close to me. They're so personal. I think of them like my eyeglass prescription. I mean, you can use this, really? <laughs> you can be with them? But it, this is my eyeglass prescription. So I, I feel a little astonished that way because they were written for my eyes. And if they serve you, Que bueno, glad, but uh, so I, I, I truly, truly, truly needed uh, an objective reader like my editor, my agent, uh, John Olivares Espinosa, my personal poetry coach. And, you know, someone uh, could look at them and tell me, "Is this any good? Is is this done? You think that's done? You like that poem? Oh, okay." Because I haven't a clue when I write poetry. I, I feel lost. And I feel that all of the poems, I could keep writing them forever. And uh, I, and some keep haunting me. And some are in an incomplete state. And I have to put them down and maybe finish them in five years. So I was very glad that uh, someone could put them in order and say, okay, we've got over 50 poems. And are you ready to let them go? And I thought, wow, if they mean something to you, and they can be of service for somebody. Okay. Sandra Cisneros, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's always a joy to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you in San Anto when I come. Sandra Cisneros is the author of Woman Without Shame. It's published by Knopf. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. We had help from David Martin Davies. I'm Yvette Benavides.